Hey everyone, welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. I finally have my office somewhat set up. So I know some of you have been praying for me because I have so much going on. I don't talk about all of it, but one of them is I've been trying to uh, do some repairs on my house and get moved in. And I haven't had an office for like now three months almost, at least two. Uh, So I haven't had like a central place to do podcasts. And now I finally do. So this is this is my test run. This is, hey, is this going to work? And uh, so let me know what you think. I might change some things in the background, but this is kind of the background you're going to be, you can expect uh, moving forward in the uh, foreseeable future, as I do podcasts at least. And um, looking forward to, to having a place that I can just click a button and start recording. It's been a challenge trying to do research, put PowerPoints together, uh, and then uh, do recording. So I've been doing podcasts on my phone. And anyway, uh, this is much easier uh, if um, if I just have uh, my setup. I want to talk about something pretty short today, uh, and that is a book called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. This is a listener-generated episode. Many of you reached out to me and said, John, can you, can you talk about this? And I think the reason is because... Um, People like Russell Moore endorsed it, so there was this thought that well, maybe it has a social justice leaning in it, or maybe there's something I just can't see, but it's 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 got some kind of a uh, a theme that that's influencing me in some way towards that end. And and I'd say for those who ask this question, by the way, very you know good job being discerning and and trying to um, j- just be on your guard because we do need to be on our guard. Uh, I will say this though, just because Russell Moore endorsed something. Uh, doesn't mean it's necessarily bad or you have to throw it out or you, you shouldn't participate. I'll give you an example. Now, maybe for some of you, this doesn't work, but for me, it does. Um, Russell Moore likes Johnny Cash a lot, or at least he says he does. Now, some of Johnny Cash songs are blatantly against what Russell Moore says he believes. I mean, Johnny Cash would be considered a Christian nationalist today. Johnny Cash, I mean, look, Russell Moore just wrote this article against the Robert E. Lee statue. Johnny Cash wrote a song or sang a song called God Bless Robert E. Lee. So, you know, I don't know that they're both... You know, Russell Moore and Johnny Cash had the same politics, but um, but Russell Moore says he likes the music. And I'm not going to go throw away all my Johnny Cash CDs because I like Johnny Cash. So just because Russell Moore says he likes some, it doesn't mean we, you know, we just do the opposite. OK, I'm not saying anyone out there was saying that, but I, I, I have seen comments, not not in this audience necessarily, but I've seen I've elsewhere. I've run into people who just automatically it's like if someone they don't care for. Uh, endorses or likes something, they have to go the opposite direction. And what I would say is, if someone is a false teacher and they like something, maybe a little, uh, like a yellow flag should go up. Hey, let's let's ask questions about this. And that's exactly what many of you did. And so, uh, good job on that. Um, I, I would say that this book is, I don't think, uh, a heretical book or a book, uh, a example of false teaching necessarily. I, I will explain um, some questionable things in the book uh, as we go forward. There's at the very least some yellow flags I have. But um, I, and maybe I missed something by the way. So please put something in the info section. If I miss something, let me know. But I did try to check right before I, I recorded this. I did try to check to see, hey, have any other conservative theological thinkers said anything about this? And the only thing I could really find was that grace to you did an article in the spring written by Jeremiah Johnson, who's Phil Johnson's uh, son, I believe. And so you have Dane Ortland writing Gentle and Lowly. Uh, his dad is uh, Ray Ortland, who writes for the Gospel Coalition. We've critiqued some of his out, out there wacky ideas. That could be another reason some people wanted me to look at this. Uh, 
Um, and then you have Phil Johnson's son uh, doing the critique. So it looks like it's just interesting. The second generation uh, here um, kind of uh, at least um, reflecting some of the views I think their fathers probably have. But the Grace to You article was deleted and I can't find it. I have not been able to read it for the life of me. I cannot find it anywhere. So I haven't looked at it. I don't really know what it said other than I saw a few screenshots on Twitter. And um, from what the little I saw, I think I'm probably in general agreement with the Grace to You article. I don't know, though. I haven't read it completely. But um, but I, I am going to give you some some of my just personal and fresh um, insights that I have into this. I, I did listen to it on Audible as I was doing work on the house. So I didn't take notes. I, I wasn't um, being as careful as I am with some other books, but I was... Uh, I, I was l looking for general themes, uh, trying to think through red flags if they came up or yellow flags. And I, I, I have some general thoughts to share with you, and then I'll, I'll illustrate some of this with some quotes. So general concerns. The thesis of the book seems to be that if you drill down deep into the heart of Jesus and you see who he fundamentally is at a very basic level, like the real authentic Jesus, you're going to find gentle and lowly. And this is the heart of Jesus. And there's almost an, uh, it's not even almost, there is an unspoken kind of, um, it, see, here's, I don't want to get into my second critique yet, but my second critique is that it's kind of sloppy, but so it's hard to, to nail them down. But what it seems to be is that God's character, Jesus's character is holiness and there, you can have wrath there and, and, and anger against sin and um, and, and of course, love, and but all, all these different things. But when you get into his heart, that's almost something different. There's a separation made between the heart of Jesus, who he most naturally is. If you, you know, if you peel back the onion, this is what you find versus his character, which it, his, his nature, his character isn't exactly as fundamental to who he is. Now, there's nowhere that it says this, but that's the sense you get as you read it. And, and I'll, I'll give you, I think, I think I have some quotes written down that show you why that you pick up that sense. That can be a dangerous thing if you really take that away. If you prioritize this gentle and lowly th aspect of, of Christ over everything else. Um, and, and even in the passage, uh, Matthew 11, we find, um, and this verse is true, we find this verse, but it's in a context. And the context doesn't, I don't know that it supports necessarily the um, the thesis that I just gave to you. So Jesus uh, says, Come to me, all you who are weary, burdened, I'll give you rest. My yoke is, uh, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Absolutely true, precious truth. We need that truth. Uh, but if you read the rest of the passage, let me just go a few verses back. Jesus denounces the cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida, Tyre and Sidon, he said, would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes if the miracles that were performed in Bethsaida and Chorazin were performed there. Um, it will be more tolerable, tolerable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than it will for those cities where Jesus had performed his miracles. So Jesus is rejected and he pronounces judgment on the cities rejecting him. Capernaum, same thing. Uh, you will be brought down to Hades, <laughs> for if the miracles that were performed in you have been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. So he, all these these judgments he brings against it, harsh judgment, right? This this side of Jesus, this character, 
And then he says, um, Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and, here's the key, those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. There's exclusivity here. This is not a popular side of Jesus here. Jesus is saying, I reveal to to, to people who my Father is, and, I, I, and I'm selective about it. The very next passage, the very next verse is, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. So the weary and the burdened, he is. There's a contrast here. You have the judgment being poured out on, on these cities that rejected him, and then you have those who are weary and burdened. And Jesus is saying, "I'll give you rest." Who's Jesus going to show the Father to? The the, the humble. And there's a bigger principle here, uh, or, or it's an illustration of of a greater principle that God gives grace uh, to the humble, but He resists the proud. He resists the proud. Grace to the humble. Okay, you see this over and over in Scripture. And so um, if, if what you say is that, well, you know, at the core level, fundamental to who God is, uh, he gives grace to the humble, you'd say, yeah, that's right. That is exactly. But God also resists the proud. That's also fundamental to who God is. Uh, and, and, so, and, and, and so Jesus says here, I am gentle and humble in heart. And that phrase is what's taken by Dane Ortland is to basically make the case that that is a, who Jesus is on a fundamental level. And um, it's very... Uh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of slide into my second critique here, general critique. It's very um, vague the way that he, uh, the, some of the language he uses in the book. So it's hard to pin down. It's hard to show if there's false teaching. It's just because um, that is very true. It's very encouraging. We need that encouragement right now. Christians need it, that there's no judgment in Christ. Nothing can separate you from his love if you are in Christ, okay? Uh, but... Uh, is this this is the fundamental thing about Christ? There's the other stuff isn't quite as important, or it, it's there, it's important, but it's just it's not it's not the heart of Jesus. So therefore, it's not as important. That's that's the thing, and it, it, it's so murky the way that it's written. It's just not written well. I wouldn't recommend it just for that. I don't think it's written well. One of the reasons it's not written well, and this is my third um, critique general critique is I think because it is very emotionally driven. It comes across, um, I think some friends of mine, a few friends of mine uh, on the internet would maybe say it's effeminate. That's probably the word they would use, but, and I'll show you some of the words, but there's a lot of almost semi-romantic uh, kind of ways of describing the relationship between Christ and Christians. And I think because it is so, it's so emotionally driven, it's not a precise theological book. It is it is a self-help book. Okay, let's be honest. This book is a self-help book. And so there's nothing necessarily wrong, but you do, I do see dangers for man-centeredness. I do see dangers for just sloppiness. And I do see an emphasis that I think is, is a little lopsided. And here's my fourth general critique. The reason I think it's lopsided in part, and the reason it feels a little unusual and why Russell Moore likes it, is I think because right now as we face on a, on a macro level, like bird's eye view here, uh, we, we face tyranny from the government, so, so uh, threat from without, and then from within the social justice movement is kind of ripping Christianity apart everywhere. Uh, this is not necessarily the main thing that you would think would be popular under these circumstances. You think a book about maybe Jesus being a brave, courageous, um, 
figure who uh, decided to make the greatest sacrifice of all time and deprived himself of these uh, of his own attributes, uh, the the ones that uh, his his um, non communicable attributes that uh, that he had it as as being God. He he chose to humble himself, as Philippians talks about, and 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 then delayed gratification, doing it for a higher purpose, doing it for the Lord. We we need books about that. We need that emphasized. We um, have. We have an issue right now with uh, people un- being unwilling. I think I don't. I'm not seeing this in evangelicalism. Pe- people talking about sacrificing. People talking about um, the the threats that uh, we have right now and how hard it's going to be. And look, um, we need men who have courage, who don't care if they you know they're rejected from the cool kids table. I'll, I'll say, look, I'm I'm rejected from the cool kids table, even in conservative evangelicalism. Uh, that, and that's fine. There's there's a higher purpose, and that's we need more of that. I think I think some podcasts um, like Eddie Robles would be a good example of this. I don't know how many times I heard his name when I was traveling to different churches, or um, I don't know there's a, there's a bunch of uh, smaller podcasts even out there. I'm thinking of other names that just the guys who are courageous or or at least they're they're talking about courage. There's kind of a masculine, um, I don't know, I don't know if it's a neo-masculine movement or what it is, but there's, they're, they're starting to become semi-popular on podcasts. But we, this is the Christian publishing industry isn't doing anything with this theme. The um, uh, music industry and Christianity not doing anything with this theme, and it's the theme right now you'd think would be front and center because of the threats, because of the sacrifices people are already having to make, and it's just not there. And so in its place is a popular book like this. In fact, I was just in a church recently visiting, uh, not, not one of the ones, it, it's not a church that I was at speaking. It was a different church. I was there for a, a wedding. But I, I noticed that inside the church office was just stacks of these books, Gentle and Lowly. Why is that so popular right now? Because we do need that. We do need to know that Jesus accepts us. He receives us. He loves us. He takes away our sin. We can't do anything to separate his love from us. But at the same time, why is that the emphasis? Why is that the big theme right now? Maybe because of trials in 2020. But but the thing is, um, this is popular all over the place. This has been popular for a long time. This is a repackaged cycle of popularity with this theme. So it's it's not um, very unique in my opinion, but it's it's always been popular. And I think a Russell Moore can like it because it doesn't contradict any of his beliefs. And it's, this is the Jesus that people want to portray to the watching world, quote unquote. It's a more attractive Jesus. If you really emphasize that, if you really say at the core deep level, this is really who he is, the other stuff isn't quite as important. Uh, And so I I think this book helps accomplish that to some extent. Some quotes for you uh, from the book. Uh, page 30. This is kind of weird, but it says, uh, and if the actions of Jesus are reflective of who he most deeply is, there it is, most deeply is, we cannot avoid the conclusion that it is the very fallenness which he came to undo that is most irresistibly attractive to him. Jesus is not attracted to our sin, okay? I think the point Dane Ortland, I, I'm giving him benefit of the doubt, he's trying to make is that Jesus' mission was to take away our sin and because uh, of his love and his uh, duty, I, probably before the Father as well, he he comes and his sin, the sin that we have is 
uh, something he, he's because of the purpose of his mission that is um, th that is the the reason that we have a connection to him and, and we we love him and we worship him is because of what he's done for us uh, in taking away our sin um, at the same time someone who believes in false teaching or someone who really just knows how to read and doesn't know theology that well, man, they could come away with some really bad ideas, some some uh, false teaching from this if they wanted to. Because uh, it does seem to indicate it is like that Jesus is somehow attracted to, irresistibly attracted uh, to our fallenness. Um, so it, it, it's just strange. It's just very strange to me. Uh, to phrase something that way, and but then uh, the, it illustrates what I was talking about earlier too, with this more this this very emotional language uh, that's almost romantic, irresistibly attracted. Uh, I mean, this is the kind of thing I think um, in a romantic relationship. Generally, generally, I think the fem a female wants to hear this more. That is like, hey, you know, darling, even your 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 flaws, you know, are attractive to me. I'm so irresistibly attracted to even the things that you think are flaws, you know, but. Actually, our sin is very disgusting to Jesus, um, and he came to to defeat it, to to rid uh, the universe of it by taking it on himself and taking bearing the punishment for it. Uh, so anyway, um, that it, it's it's an interesting quote to say the least. Uh, second, his verse uh, verse <laughs> page twenty nine. Uh, in speaking specifically of the heart of Christ and the heart of God in the Old Testament, we are not really on the wrath-mercy spectrum anyway. So he's discussing this whole thing about, hey, is it wrath? Is it mercy? Who is God? And he says, look, if you're talking about the heart of Christ, you're not talking about wrath-mercy. His heart is his heart. That, that is a sentence in the book. His heart is his heart. It's brilliant stuff. Uh, when we speak of Christ's heart, we are not so much speaking of one attribute alongside others. We are asking who he most deeply is, what pours out of him most naturally. So this is what this is what I was talking about uh, earlier, that there there seems to be almost a separation between the attributes and character of God and then his heart. And and where do we do we see this in Scripture? I don't see this. Uh, his his heart, his attributes. I mean, the, who he is, what he does. I mean, it's all part of who he a part of Jesus, part of God. So this is, this I think is convenient for the Russell Moores of the world. They can kind of like, yeah, you know, there's that wrath stuff, but, you know, we, we, uh, we're really most concerned about the, the, the really important thing to emphasize, which is the heart of Jesus. And, and that's not wrath. That's not, it's not wrath, mercy that, you know, don't even think about that. Just think about, um, his gentleness, his lowliness. Uh, here's another quote from page 186. And what does the gospel say? It puts the following words in each of our mouths. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. His heart for me could not sit still in heaven. There's, there's that, I don't find that in scripture. His, his heart, his heart for me could not sit still in heaven. This is written from, it sounds like the perspective of a, a damsel in distress. You know, the knight, he just couldn't couldn't rest knowing that I was in distress and his heart his heart was just tugged because of his love for me even my flaws you know th this is the kind of thing that you would see in a, in a, f a fairy tale but um, you don't really see that in scripture but this is the language that's given and I 
I would I, I would be so curious. No one's probably done a study, but I'd be so curious to see, okay, how many groups that are like female Bible studies are using this book as opposed to men's groups? I, I, I think it probably would be overwhelmingly um, uh, women's Bible studies. Page 187, the gospel is the invitation to let the heart of Christ calm us into joy. For we've already been discovered, included, brought in. We can bring our up and down moral performance into subjection to the settled fixedness uh, of what Jesus feels about us. There's so much of that I like. There's so much of that that's true. There's so much of that that we need. We need to know that we're accepted by Christ. Nothing can separate us. But why does it rub me wrong at the end uh, of what Jesus feels about us? I mean, it's so our feelings change so much. And it's just not very rooted. It's not, it, it's so vague and just, um, again, it, it just feels romantic instead of uh, the, 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 I would say that the very deep love God has for us where he, he chose to sacrifice that agape love. Uh, anyway, I don't, I don't see this as very biblical language, but that's, this is, the book is riddled with this kind of language. And so, um, we, we really need right now the courage to stand up. And um, I, I'm not seeing that that's a popular theme in today's evangelicalism. This is the theme, though. This, this more feminized theme is what we see repackaged over and over and over. And so on a macro level, it does concern me. Uh, that being said, I don't know that I would say that there's false teaching. There's just really kind of vague stuff in here. And there's really just... I don't know if there is false teaching. It's it's kind of hidden. It's kind of it, it's hard to to figure out exactly where it is because it's not precise. So that's my take on gentle and lowly. If you disagree or think uh, I missed something, please let me know in the comments section. Maybe I did miss something, and maybe if someone could send me that article by Jeremiah Johnson because I can't find it anywhere and I do not know why Grace to you uh, got rid of it. I really wanted to read it uh, anyway. Uh, more coming later this week. I'm trying to think what announcements. There, I know I got some. There, I have to have some announcement out out there. Um, I, I I'll say this there because there are some things coming up that I do need to talk about, but not quite yet. But I'll say this uh, for the those who've watched the American Monument documentary on um, YouTube. If you liked it, please uh, write a comment. Just say you liked it and share it. Share it with people that you know would appreciate it, share it on your social media platforms. We really want to get the word out about this. Um, it is increasing. Every day there's more people viewing it, but it's, it's kind of a slow burn. It's kind of uh, going out there slowly. Um, I haven't advertised it anywhere, but uh, we are. I am looking into that possibly, uh, doing some advertising. I won't do it with Facebook, though, and I won't do it with Twitter. I won't do it with any, any of those conventional social media platforms that a lot of other Christians, including conservatives, ironically, are using to promote their stuff. I just... No, we're not. We're not going to do that. But I am looking into some alternatives to that, possibly. Uh, and then the other thing is, if you like the book, uh, the social justice, or sorry, Christianity and social justice, religions and conflict, please leave a review on Amazon. And I, I know it might take a minute out of your day, but it does make a difference. Even if you got it from me, leave a review on Amazon. Uh, it does help. I am most likely, if I can get to it, I think I can going to be announcing a special on some books uh, later this week. And so um, anyway, uh, that stay tuned for that. But it, but please um, leave, a, leave a review, share it with the people you know. I think it's going to be a good Christmas gift. 
I, what I've what I've tried to do with that book is really com. It, it's short, but it's it's compact. There's so much in it. There's so many end notes. Uh, I've tried to put everything essential to understanding the social justice movement and responding to it in one book. And I, I think from what people have told me, even on the road, is that, hey, John, you did it. Like, this is the book. If I had to recommend one book about social justice and how to respond from a Christian perspective, it would be this one. And that's an honor for me to, to be hearing things like that, because uh, that's exactly what I was going for. So please check it out, uh, ChristianityAndSocialJustice.com. If you, if you don't have a copy, you can get it on Amazon, the Kindle version. I will be recording at some point an audible version. We have determined that. It's just a matter of when. Uh, and I will be putting out a study guide, too. So if you have the book and you read the book uh, and you want your church to know about it, there will be a study guide uh, eventually coming out as well. So uh, those are my announcements. I hope this was helpful for you. God bless. And uh, bye now. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.